Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 65. You've caught us on a good week. Our guest this week, special guest host, is none other than Mr. Izzy Swan. Izzy, welcome Woo! to the show. You can't see me, but I'm waving at you guys. Welcome. <laughs> hey, thanks I, for I having me. I remember where the bell was. Yeah. Now, Izzy, our skill topic for this week is your, your current dominant skill, which we're going to call productionizing. Productionizing, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, productionizing. Because you this, this sort of encompasses a lot of things. What skill class is productionizing? Skill class. Um, give me an example. What do you mean skill class? Chicken. One to chicken. One to chicken? It's, it would yeah. definitely be werewolf, unicorn, pixie, fairy, monkey. Well, that seems, that Ooh, seems interesting. Right. He went, I didn't think he'd finish up with monkey there. That's so pretty interesting. Basically, we have a Lord of the Rings classification this week, which we've never had before. I got to say, that's a oh. first. It's definitely a first. Well, good. I feel yeah. special. Well, yeah. <clears throat> I agree. I feel special also. Now, Izzy... This is our, we're about to go into our research and fun facts section. Did you do any research for the show? Uh, is that a trick question? No. <laughs> Unfortunately no. not. Okay, all right. Moving along, Tom, did you do any he research? Took, he took your spot, Tom. <laughs> yeah, he took my, he took my research. Tom yeah, typically doesn't I'm do anything. says no. I got, I got a little something. What do you got, Tom? Uh, I, I went back to... Um, to a classic, Henry Ford, and uh, the notion that he invented the assembly line, which it's not entirely true. He 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 implemented the assembly line, which he actually got the idea from a, a different industry where they disassemble things on a line, and that's the meatpacking industry. He saw that the meat was coming to the worker on a conveyor belt, and he went, let's do that. Let's bring the product to the worker not the worker to the product. And he revolutionized that industry, obviously. I'm not taking any credit away from him. But um, I, I watched a bunch of old videos. I didn't realize that there's like very old video footage of the the Ford plant where they were making model, um, sorry, Model Ts, right? At least that's what I thought they were. It might have been slightly newer than that. I didn't Google when video footage was invented, but which was Kodak, but that's a different story. But uh, there was, it was a classic, you know, early 1900s um, scene where, like, things were just more dangerous and awesome. <laughs> and, like, like the, the, um, like, there were, there were guys on Creepers attaching fenders as the car was moving and they're just like whipping around underneath they're just like going underneath the car grabbing onto the axle holding on while like they're putting the fender on it was really cool um and uh and then these other two guys were grabbing engines attached to the transmission and it looked like a length of um you know of the drivetrain and they grab it on two ends on a lift on like a hoist and as they pick it up the entire thing Keep in mind, the, the giant engine, the giant transmission, it all has a balance point, and it flips 180 degrees 
as they like walk it over to the vehicle and they're just like holding on like this you know how many hundreds of pounds just like flipped as they're moving and uh they don't bat an eye i mean today we would freak out over that stuff but um it was just cool to see how it was done back then and um the lack of safety and people still did it weren't they kind of some of the early reclaimers as well or am i just imagining that didn't they use some of the pallets pallet wood or crates or something to build the floorboards in the early model t's i think that they they reused that some of the sure. That's some of that. the materials in the building of the car and then i may be, I wonder if maybe imagine more that. of a supply chain issue so, so uh, there was an interesting video I just saw that is exactly what you're talking about, Tom. I just saw it like last week. It was old black and white footage of Henry Ford, and it said Henry Ford's hemp car. And it was a completely plastic car that Henry Ford made. I guess it never went into production for some reason. But they show a guy like hitting it with a hammer, and it just like does nothing. Like the hammer just rebounds off of it. And it was like a nice looking cool. car, but it was just like just footage of this thing existing made out of hemp. I don't even know how you make plastic out of hemp. But we'll yeah. have to do an episode on that. Some, that someone years later, someone from Saturn found that footage and And then massacred the <laughs> yeah. company. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Miss Saturn. So that was some interesting actual research, Tom. I'm kind of surprised, but at the same time, You're you, welcome. you knew Izzy was coming, so I'm not that surprised because, uh, you know. Well, I was <laughs> just saying. I was prepared. He, wa- he wanted to, to be prepare. more prepared than, than he typically is? Is that more what you're saying? More prepared than usual. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I just, I didn't do any research in the month of January, so I figured I'd get it in right before we're, uh, we're going into February here. Uh, you got to research awesome. in February, too. It's part of your contract. Yeah. I still didn't receive that contract, PJ. It's in your email, Tom. You have to check your email. How many times do I have to tell you that? <laughs> Tanda? Tanda, uh, what research did you do on productionizing? Well, since Tom actually did research, I, I think I'm off the hook <laughs> contractually. But I did a little bit, and I, I went so. back uh, to some of the earliest products I could find. And so I went back 4,000 years to the ancient Babylonians and... Uh, found a word that I hadn't heard before, uh, sexagesimal, which, <laughs> which is... Uh, um, is that an instrument? Uh, no, sexagesimal is, is a base 60 number system. So, you know, like instead really? of using a base 10, use a base 60. But the Babylonians were some of the earliest uh, cultures to actually have multiplication tables. And they had them on tablets, and they carried around with them. And, of course, anybody that... Uh, you know, could memorize them, they, uh, you know, were ahead of the game in trading and so forth, but they had to, I mean, their multiplication tables went all the way to the 59s, right? Because it was base Jeez. 60. Right. So, uh, but that was, uh, you know, of course, when you, you know, take two numbers and you multiply them, you get a product. And so mm-hmm. that was some of the earliest products I, I found it was 4,000 years Canada, ago, how s- Babylonians. How do you spell that? I literally couldn't Google it. S E X A. G E S I M A L hexagesimal. Oh, it was so close. I can't yeah. believe Google let me yeah. down. I can't believe Tanda, you, so, you couldn't find it. So, if you didn't have one of those tablets, but you remembered all of the things that were on them, did that make you a sexologist? 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, probably the equivalent in ancient Babylonia and, mm. or a sex mm. specialist or something. It's, yeah, it's, that's yeah. what a difference 4,000 years makes. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's – uh, I got to give you props for 4,000-year-old research. That definitely goes back away. I don't know if that's the furthest we've gone, but that's that's definitely got to be up there. Yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the Aztecs and people were working with numbers, but those were some of the earliest uh, people multiplying numbers and and getting the product. Okay. All right. Well, of course, I looked up production superstitions, and no way you found something. I found a list. <laughs> Oh, God. So, uh, Izzy, my favorite thing to look up is superstitions of whatever it is we're talking about, if okay. they happen to exist. Most of the time they don't. <laughs> yeah. So, Listen, Just to catch you up on all the episodes of superstitions, just don't have anything to do with scissors. Okay? Just don't buy them. Don't loan them out. Don't They're pretty bad. Don't use yeah. them. Don't drop them. And don't certainly take them don't to drop a them. And you'll be fine. You'll, you'll live a long life. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of problems with scissors. Basically, it's a, all right. What do you got, PJ? Okay, I have thirteen theater production superstitions. Theater production? <laughs> oh, great! That's, I yeah, mean, that's, I know it's like a little bit a of a stretch. Right don't break a leg. Uh, <laughs> well, you, you know, it, it's better than the Google recommended reproduction superstitions. I suppose that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Oh, no. So. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, the first Definitely one. Definitely don't use scissors there. there. There's no mention of scissors anywhere. The first superstition is a bad dress rehearsal means the show will be a hit. Uh, and apparently there is some sort of history of either bad dress rehearsals or catastrophic rehearsals, final rehearsals, uh, equaling a f like a fantastic opening for the show. So there's that i don't know it's a thing uh another one is blue should not be worn on stage ever uh, uh well according to this it was actually at one time blue dye was the most expensive of all the fabric colorings so the producers in an effort to keep the um budget down started a rumor that blue was bad luck and you should never wear it on <laughs> stage and it it stuck so that's that's where that that came from. Ugh. Then we have uh, never light a trio of candles. So there is a, a long-standing history of uh, theaters burning down uh, due to open flames, uh, including Shakespeare's Globe Theater, which burned down when a cannon was set off during a production of Henry VIII, and so in addition to having candles is, is a bad thing. Uh, it's why three candles supposedly the person that is standing closest to the shortest candle will be the first to die <laughs> in the inferno that's probably going to kill everybody he's the first one to go so you got to worry about that i think i think it should be don't stand near candles not don't it's only them. because their costume catches on fire and everything was very flammable back then <laughs> Uh, turn on the ghost light before leaving the theater. Uh, I didn't know there was a thing called a ghost light until I actually read this. But there is a, mm -hmm. a, a dim light that is 
put in the middle of the stage. Um, practically, it's so that you don't actually walk into any of the open trap doors or orchestra pits or into any of the scenery or anything. So, you know, you don't get hurt in the dark. But as far as the the the, the superstition goes, supposedly it's for ghosts of the theater so that they can perform in some light instead of in total darkness because theater ghosts are divas. I always heard it was to chase away mischievous spirits who wanted to act out in the theater at night. That is also in but here. It, it, it does also say that, yes. Okay. That's another thing. <laughs> uh, t Tanda and Izzy, sidebar, real quick. Tanda, yeah. Izzy. Yeah. Um, so it, it turns out I found PJ's list on the internet. So <laughs> I say, while we're in the sidebar, I just read the remaining seven or so and just completely ruin his fun. What do you think? Should we let him do it? Uh, I don't know if we should let him do it or... Or, or if, or if oh. now we should just uh, see how much uh, enthusiasm we can build for it after you've read them. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Just fake it the whole time. Well, you I won't spoil them all, but the next one's the next one. <laughs> I say do one and then let him do the rest. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's okay. No one, no one can hear us. Uh, no, no, um, I won't. I won't spoil it. Uh, but the next one is about peacock feathers. So oh, here, 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 he's coming back now. And and that's why you shouldn't use peacock feathers. And uh, the next one is mirrors on stage are bad luck. You skipped Mirror, it. <laughs> what? What do you mean I skipped Nothing. it? I've been no, I've been no, talking. What do you What do you mean I skipped it? I didn't skip anything. I just got done telling you, you why you uh, shouldn't have peacock I think feathers. Your audio dropped out there for a little bit. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I, I'll I'll fix that in the edit. Never mind. Uh, so, so wait. So do I need to repeat the peacock thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that dropped out. Oh God. All right. Um. Okay, so never bring a peacock feather on stage. Uh, while beautiful, uh, the pattern in the feather looks like the evil eye. And according to this, no theater production wants to risk offending the audience with a malevolent curse, which is supposed to bring misfortune and injury to anyone who casts it. So, Man, you'd feel like an idiot if you just happened to bring one out because you thought it looked cool or it was part of your costume. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I saw no no show tunes on on the stage basically. But I think that's all they wear. <laughs> uh, the next one is mirrors on stage are bad luck, and uh, this is because mirrors reflect light, and if a spotlight happened to hit a mirror, which then hit an actor in the face who happened to move into that position, they could walk off the stage and break a leg or die you know depending on how how high the stage is so that's that's a, that's a practical one that's pretty realistic uh this one's pretty bad whistling backstage in the theater is considered a jinx and this is because mm. the uh back in the day they didn't have any hydraulics or advanced rigging systems to move things around so the the people in the back the stagehands that were moving like scenery or anything that was on ropes would whistle as a signal for them to you know to move the thing so if an actor whistles they risk having one of the <laughs> stagehands like drop a sandbag on their head or drop a scenery on their head like they could you know they could get badly hurt or the whole scene um, stage left just like goes up into the catwalks yeah. randomly yeah. in the middle of a scene yeah. it's not a good thing so 
don't feel, don't do that. I feel that. like that's why the Seven Dwarves was never put on Broadway. Because, <laughs> you know, they was a lie they were. I thought that was on Broadway. I'm sure it was. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. My joke doesn't work the other way. They people. cut out all the oh, words. Oh, that, that's my bad. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the next one is Beware the Ghost of David Belesco. Anybody know who he is? Who is David? I, I, I nope. don't know. I never heard of him. But uh, located at 111 West 44th Street on Broadway is the Belesco Theater, right in the middle of the theater district. It's one of the oldest show houses there. And supposedly the ghost of David Belesco haunts the theater, and he can be seen uh, up in uh, the balcony or wandering the lobbies, uh, occasionally stopping to talk to patrons. So that that now I'm going to have like to Google a... David Belesco. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Izzy's not going to sleep well tonight. More information I need in my brain. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. It, it keeps getting better. It's why I read these things. It's like you learn stuff that you didn't know you need to know. Uh, no, never you definitely didn't need to know. Never give a performer flowers before a show. It's bad luck. Because it seems like you are rewarding someone before they have actually done a good job. And this leads us to give the director a graveyard bouquet. <laughs> so when a production closes, it's considered good luck to give a director a bouquet of flowers that has been stolen from a graveyard. Uh, the theater folk love their symbolism. Uh, but it, it also is symbolic of the end of the production, which is its death. And also, historically, actors were not well paid, so this was an easy way for them to, to steal flowers and give the, give the director something. So, so I have a, so I have a funny, funny related story. A kid I went to high school with, his stepdad went to school in Golden, Colorado. And uh, for the uh, homecoming they allowed them their their group or their class was allowed to build their float and the coors brewery and they allowed them to have beer so they just sat around drinking beer for most of the time they were allotted to be building their float and didn't really build much of a float so at the last minute they went and stole freshly laid sod from a from a graveyard to to cover their float to actually make a field and a football goal and stuff on their float with uh, with sod from the from the graveyard. That's awful. That's I a, like it. It's a sodding good story, Tanda. <laughs> PJ, you got one last one? Uh, there's a couple. There's three more. I know. I was trying <laughs> to prompt you more. to just only do one more. Well, if you're counting, you'd know how many there were, Tom. I mean, it's not that hard. <laughs> I do know. I do know. It's painful. How would you know? Anyway... <sighs> Uh, the next one is beware of a visit from the ghost of Thespis. Thespis. So uh, whenever something goes wrong in a theater and they don't have a ghost that, that is associated with it, they, they always blame Thespis, who was the ancient Greek that is the first actor to step out of a chorus and play an individual character. So this is where the term thespians comes from, from comes Thespis. From, yeah. So if, if they don't have a ghost, they just blame him as the scapegoat for something that's going wrong with the production. Is, is that called a scapegoat? I, I would assume wow. so. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What else would you call it? Wow. Yeah, hey, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm. All right. Of course, the one we've all heard uh, say break a leg instead of good luck. 
the reason for this is because there are mischievous spirits on stage who use their magic to force the opposite of what you wish to happen. So by saying break a leg, you're actually hoping them that they don't break a leg. Uh, but there is an alternate meaning where an actor moving from the theatrical curtains uh, backstage to the front, uh, that is known as the legs. So breaking a leg means you're crossing backstage into the playing area, which is where all the actors have to go to get to the spotlight. Hmm. I, I kind of like the mischievous spirits explanation myself. But. I'm down with that one, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and the last one is, and I've never heard this before, never say Macbeth in a theater. So... Saying the name of Shakespeare's Scottish play inside a theater is a serious mistake for any actor, and all of the other actors will disassociate themselves with you uh, if you do it. Uh, in order to undo this, you have to do um, a whole bunch of things like reciting lines from lucky plays, or if you're in good condition, like physically fit, you can exit the theater spin around three times and spit, <laughs> which I don't, I don't know what that has to do with anything. It's an old, um, that's an old sailor's myth. That's something they did in um, the French, French war, um, the French English war on sailboats, on, on, on military sailboats. And I don't know the, uh, the association with it, but that's an old good luck charm. There was huh. a thing when I was in Italy, when I was in Milan, um, the guy that was showing me around, he took me to this place that was it was sort of like a, an open-air mall. And right in the middle, there was this, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a, not a hole, but like a divot in the tile. And there was like a, some kind of design around it. But you had to put your heel in the divot and spin as many times as you could without putting the other foot down. And that was supposed to generate good luck. Hmm. So it sounds, it sounds similar. I don't know, somehow. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, the reason that you're not supposed to talk about Macbeth is because that play draws on witchcraft incantations, which supposedly calls up evil spirits, and no one wants that in the theater, but also the original actor that played Macbeth died tragically during a performance, and the show has been cursed ever since. So, hmm. so that's it. Those are the uh, production superstitions I found. Wow. You guys really did do your homework. We try. We try. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, P PJ did. Tom and I looked ours we up during the pre-show. Right. Right. <laughs> I was... <laughs> yeah, the truth comes out. The so, Tom, out. if you would have dug a little bit deeper, you would know that um, it took them 12 years to invent hemp plastic, and Henry Ford gets credited for it, but he was not necessarily the person that invented it. They had a group of chemists that worked on it for 12 years. And it wasn't just a hemp truck. Um, it was hemp-fueled as well. The vehicle was fueled by hemp, oh, and it wow. was made by hemp from hemp plastic, which is a biodegradable... Um, uh, it's still oil-based, but it's a hemp oil that they made the plastic from instead of petroleum oil, which made it much more biodegradable, so a much better plastic than... The, the plastics that we are now polluting our oceans and everywhere today. So, but that was, right. you know, 1941 when that, when that came out, pretty cool stuff. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. You know, that is pretty cool. Cool, cool stuff. <laughs> 
You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right. I got one deal this week, which uh, is called The Little Quickie. There was this guy named Brandon. At, uh, he put up a Craftsman three-wheel locomotive sander on Facebook Marketplace for 30 bucks. And if you guys remember, I bought one of these uh, in the summertime for $5. And Those were Craftsman? There was Craftsman, yeah. Craftsman made locomotive sanders. It's a three-inch, three-wheel sander. I can't remember the exact length of the belt, but uh, I'll look it up. Uh, anyway, this guy was only a few towns away. It was a 20-minute drive. He wanted 30 bucks. I offered him 20 and he said, yeah, sure. So I went and I got it. Uh, the sander is in good working condition. It comes with the original tube of Craftsman grease, which looks like it was never used. It's in the box, too. Oh, it's in the nothing original. worse than a squeaky Craftsman. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's almost many, as bad as whistling. Too many beans. Uh, it came with the original metal carry case, uh, the original instruction pamphlet, and that helped me to date it around April of 1957 which is much further. I believe the one that I bought in the summertime was actually in the early 30s. So this is a hmm. bit, of, bit of a jump. But, you know, it's filling out my, uh, my collection. Of, I think I'm up to like four or five locomotive sanders. So That's cool. It was a good little thing. That's all I got. What do you do with them? You just display what? them or hide them in a shed? What do you do? Uh, well, the stuff... The stuff that I collect is right now, most of it is in a 55-gallon drum, but someday I would like to have a space where I can just display uh, the stuff that's collections. These are, these are things that will never, ever get used. They're okay. just I, – I find them interesting, so I pick them up as cheaply as I can. Uh, there's uh, – I just saw one today. There was a Porter Cable locomotive sander for 125 bucks that had uh, the brush – uh, the brush port for the motor was melted. Um, I don't know how that Ooh. happened, but uh, they I've seen them go as high as $300 for that model. Um, the most I have paid was uh, 50 bucks. That's the that's the maximum for me and that was for a Porter cable locomotive in in good condition. Um, but yeah, they're they're highly sought after. Uh, and I, I think uh, the other one I got was uh, ten bucks at an auction, and then I think I picked up another one for ten bucks somewhere else. Very cool. Um, but yeah, I just is he anything I find kind of weird or or somehow you know vintage sexy? I just grab it if it's not. That's why Tom anything. and I are on the show. Yes, yeah, I just, weird, I just thinking that's sexy. why I got invited. Yeah. I'm you know weird. It works. <laughs> yeah, vintage sexy. Uh, vintage maybe Pretty much. sexy definitely not. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, th I think Maggie, you know, Maggie would disagree. You know, definitely. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> she says I have a wonderful personality. <laughs> That's code, Izzy. That's code. Oh, all right. <laughs> Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right, it's time for personal history. Izzy, how did you get started with production work? Uh, long, long story, as short as I can make it. Um, I was building log homes. Well, I went to college, did not finish for construction management. 
and um, was working in construction management field supervising um, kidney dialysis centers for Pinnacle Construction Group in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I quickly learned that I wasn't ever going to build anything. It was just a babysitting job. <laughs> so um, not what I wanted to do. So I left that and went to work for a guy building log homes. Um, fell in love with rustic furniture. That, that When we started building log homes, we started to see some of these homes getting filled out and just fell in love with the rustic furniture um, that I was seeing and just knew that I could take that to a, new, a different level. Back then, it was a lot of the lodge pole log stuff. And I had seen some guys up in upstate New York that were doing some really cool stuff with mosaic like twig mosaic, birch bark veneers, you know, just, they did, there, were, there wasn't any rules. And I'm, I'm all about not having rules. And I really like that. But I quickly figured out I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the artist that was building, you know, these epic pieces for three months and six months at a time and selling them for, you know, 50 and $100,000 for a piece. Well, I, I, it didn't take long to figure out that I was going to go hungry if I kept trying to do that for long. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't in upstate New York. I was in I was in Upper Michigan, and um, was raising. I just met this girl. I was starting to raise a young family, and I really wanted to stick with the furniture world. But um, I quickly it was just one of those things that, by weird happenstance, I realized I could I could wholesale what I was doing if I could produce it faster, not as fancy, of course, but just make it this faster. So I made some test runs and I brought them to a few places. There wasn't, you know, you didn't, we didn't do emails and stuff way back then. Um, so uh, it was every place I went wanted it. I mean, like every place I stopped and showed it to, they're like, we'll take it. We'll take everything you have right now. I'm like, no, 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 this isn't for sale. This is just showcase stuff. So I, I hit the ground running. I took orders and started making it and just realized that how inefficient I was and started teaching myself um, how to build machines t to make this faster because they weren't there. They didn't exist. Uh, so I needed to be able to figure out how I could work in with natural materials. So not only is it not square, it's, it's, and it's round, but not straight. It's all kinds of weird shapes. Um, so I learned, I learned how to build equipment <laughs> to work with this stuff, how to make things faster. So I spent the next 15 years basically doing that, designing rustic furniture and then designing the equipment to build it, to make it faster so I could wholesale it. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's where my initial interest in, in um, mechanical, the mechanical side of production came from. And then everybody knows what happened in 08. Um, the world just went topsy-turvy. And I hung on for a year and just decided it wasn't worth it, but made a lot of good relationships in the industry. So I sold some designs. I sold my business. And a company up in... Um, I, I don't have a good relationship with them any longer. Uh, because they ended up doing some stuff I'm not very proud of. So, uh, but they hired me to come in and help them uh, really streamline what they were doing with a couple of furniture lines that I had actually designed. They were trying to make them on their own, and it wasn't working out real well. So I went in and did um, just help them streamline their process, built a couple pieces of equipment for them. And I ended up, in the end of it, after about a month and a half, I saved them about 30% on a $6.5 million a year line. Um, wow. Saved them 30%. So that's a fairly significant thing. And then they told somebody else, and I got another job doing that, and I kept just doing that kind of stuff, process and production consulting for the furniture industry. And that spread out into other things. So um, that's kind of how I got started in that world. Um, I've always had a passion for 
optimizing things? How can I make things faster, better, easier? My dad once yeah, said... Would you say that that part is... That's more fun for you than the actual construction of, of items? Um, I know you do a lot of inventing also. Is that... Where, how would you rank those things if you could? My favorite thing to do is um, obviously inventing and prototyping. You know, sure. Building that first run, perfecting that that the use of the tool, not necessarily the cosmetics, but the the use of the tool. What does that look like? Why does it? And then I also the proof of concept stage. Yeah, I'm, you know, and I, I'm I'm not a bells and whistles guy. <laughs> I never have been. I don't buy tools because they have all the bells and whistles. I buy tools because they're workhorses. You know, if I'm going to buy a tool and I'm going to spend good money on it, I don't care if it's got all these fancy buttons and can tell me, you know, how many thousandths of an inches I, I just moved. I want to know that I can I can just beat it to death and work it to death and it's going to keep functioning. Um, and I design that way as well. I design things to be robust, beefy, and just, you know, no bells, no whistles, which is, you know, getting it's becoming less and less popular these days. People like their bells and whistles. Um, which is not a terrible thing. It's just the way, you know, just how I do things. And um, anyway, uh, getting off on a, a side tangent there. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into it. And then in, um, I guess it was 2013, I was getting pretty bored. I was doing, you know, some odds and ends stuff and doing a little bit of consulting, nothing, nothing that was keeping me busy full time. And I'm not somebody that likes to sit around, so I was doing a lot of fishing. Uh, <laughs> So, which is kind of counterintuitive because I was still sitting, but I was being active <laughs> while I was sitting. So, yeah, yeah. And I just got bored with that. I was in Charleston, so um, my kind of my YouTube origin story is: I had a friend of mine said, "Why don't you put some woodworking stuff up on YouTube?" And I was like, "You mean the thing where all the kids are posting videos?" <laughs> so, right. Yeah. But I went and checked it out. Steve Ramsey <laughs> was there. Mark Spagnola was there. Um, Lanny Shaughnessy was there, Matt's Basement Workshop. You know, they're, they're kind of the forefathers, the ones that really all started the DIY movement on YouTube. And um, I was like, heck yeah, I'll give it a shot. There's a lot more people doing it now besides them. but um, And I put a video up and people responded and I asked questions and it was kind of that community I was looking for and it was just a kind of a, a, a natural progression from there. So... Um, as far as the production side goes, uh, I haven't done a lot of that, like putting that out in the YouTube world, more like just crazy fun projects, product ideas, how to improve your workflow, how to get things done on a budget, um, you know, any anything like that. So just little tips and tricks that help and then just me having fun, you know, like I'm going to build a dinosaur for that you can ride on because I want to, you know, and so that's <laughs> that kind of stuff. Well, it's certainly been a good mix because those those videos have driven a lot of attention, which then gets people, you know, interested in making their own thing or could I make something like that? And then you're giving them the tools to, to make it more efficiently as well. So that's kind of a good combination. It was my hope, you know, I have, I have seven kids and um, I hope that some of the things I do inspire them to realize that they can pretty much build whatever they need or want. And that maybe I can, you know, they're they're all in a weird age right now where going out to a garage and putting some two by fours together to build a chair just isn't super exciting, but it will. It'll happen when they want it, something and they realize that definitely they can yeah. make it rather than spending five six hundred bucks on a single chair. They can go out and make it for sixty bucks of materials. So, 
and they'll think that mm-hmm. everybody just knows that. I mean, they'll they'll feel like it was just by osmosis. When they get to that age, they'll right. just be like, you know, they'll they'll marry someone that you know doesn't hasn't had that back doesn't have that background, and and they'll just be like, well, we could just make it. Doesn't everybody just just make it? Make it. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, so. It, it'll come back. I hope so. Izzy, are your are your kids? Do they look at you and think you can make anything? My kids have a pretty good grasp on what I'm capable of. Um, they know I'm not going to be out building, you know, nuclear bombs or rocket ships <laughs> on my own. Mm-hmm. If I had a team, I might be able to pull either one of those off. But um, <laughs> they know if they if I want something, I pretty much can handle it. But a drill-powered nuclear rocket ship sounds yes. very interesting. I, I would like yeah. to see that. Plausible. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, he doesn't even, he, he's I already planning it. We say, we keep, we say it, nuclear the, again. It's going to raise a red flag with uh, with the national, with the, with the uh, what do they call them? The uh, NSA? The NSA. And no one listens. Gonna be like listening no one to listens, our podcast. I'm going to be like, no, yeah, no, they're, no, they're never going to do that, guys. No. I, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't NSA doesn't even listen anyone, to our podcast. Anyone in the NSA is among the 12 people that listen to our podcast. Yeah. Besides, I I think it would be way more practical, Izzy, if you made a drill-powered nuclear submarine. Rockets have all kinds of problems, but a sub, that's doable, you know. I think just a drill-powered sub would be doable. I mean, that's not that hard. Yeah, Yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Those, those, there's, there's a history of that. Use a drill to pump water in and out for ballast and a couple of drills to power a propeller and you're, Bob's your auntie. There you go. (laughs) How, how many drills do you think you would need for that? Well, as far as six. Like, I'm just, you would I'm, need I'm, six. Six? Yeah. Oh. Two 36-volt drills, two 18-volt drills, and two 12-volt drills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, <laughs> for, <laughs> forward so ballast, aft ballast, uh, propeller, and He's already worked uh, and it out. Uh, the 36-volt yeah. drills would be for thrust. <laughs> the 18-volt drills would be for yaw, and yaw the, the yaw and um, elevation. Pitch. And the 12-volt drills would be for the ballast. <laughs> That's great. I think That's I think great. you need um, an extra set of drills that you can turn into torpedoes. Now you're talking. <laughs> yeah, there we yeah. go. They would be I mean, compressors for the for the torpedoes. Yeah. Yep. You, you need you need some torpedoes if you're going to have a submarine. I don't care what they shoot. It could be Jello shots. Just as long as they leave the boat <laughs> with some sort of payload that that needs to happen. Yeah. So what is that? You're, you're, you're officially challenged by the three of us, Izzy, to make at some point in the future a drill-powered submarine for one person. Uh huh. You know. All right, I'll I'll so. run that by Maggie. See if I get permission. <laughs> I can't remember where I was reading it, but it was I was like two three weeks ago. I just saw a thing where there was a they were making someone during one of the wars was making two-man submarines in the jungle. And then they were, um, they were, you know, uh, sailing. I guess it'd be called sailing uh, out of like a river into the ocean. But well, they they're, were they're made like they're certainly doing drug that wars? in the drug wars. Yeah. Oh, it yeah, might, maybe was that wars. it? Was it the yeah. drug lords? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The cartel and then they like them. they push them down the rivers <laughs> out into the. They load them up, push them out into the ocean, and then see if they can get to some place where the drugs are worth more. Yeah. Yeah, that, that shows you how good my memory Crazy. is. I remember there was a submarine. I remember who had it. I just remember <laughs> yeah, they were in the jungle. More. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's <laughs> hey, it, that's that's just more, uh, you know, 
inspiration for you, Izzy. If if drug kingpins can do it, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the motivation would be a lot different, but you know, I'm just like, can I do this? I want to see if I can. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm I'm going to do some production improvement work for some dudes down in Colombia. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Isley Isley's gonna be Izzy is going to become our rosewood smuggler. He's gonna go down to South America, get us rosewood, and then bring it back by submarine. Yeah. No. And then, you know the, and then the Coast Guard pulled up the submarine, that's and it was just loaded up with hardwoods. If you bring in yeah. um, illegal rosewood, I'm not doing that. You can still get Patagonian <laughs> rosewood. It's expensive as heck, but you can still get it legally. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just giving you ideas for the sub, Izzy. I'm that's just a saying, bad idea. Know. I don't want to do, and no ideas that can get me locked up. <laughs> all right, all right, moving right along. Um, let's let's bring it up to uh, present day. Talk talk to us about your your production that you're doing now, because it seems like you know you've been going like full speed for I don't know. It seems like two years, like straight, like just like nonstop. Yeah, it's, it's been about it's been about eighteen months. Um, we we launched the um, the in feed tables. Uh, I guess nineteen months ago. And then came out with the quick lock system. We have our VAC templates is our, re- our most recent thing we're doing is VAC templates. Uh, we did the X-Clamp about a year ago. We I didn't really do much in the way of production runs on those. I did a little get it out in the uh, world. I, did, I think I sold 50 of them initially just to kind of get feedback from people, how they were liking them, what they didn't, you know, things I could improve on. And I got zero complaints. I'm like, uh, this isn't helping. <laughs> how am That's I supposed the worst. to improve the product without complaints? <laughs> yeah. That's the worst. Um, Yeah. You know, and there's other products that never found their way to YouTube that I helped develop with engineering groups and other things that we worked on. Um, I'm involved with an engineering group called Clever and another another couple little groups like that that we we developed some products. Um, I've got some products in the works for mass production that will maybe see the light of day if the world economy ever... I, I don't even need to settle down, just kind of like hit its peak and level off you know um oh yeah, yeah. stuff yeah. like that but yeah for about 16 months we've been doing it up in our game a little bit new cncs expanding into metal components stuff like that and then also at the same time trying to slow down a little bit if that sounds like a thing so we really want to focus on content for the next couple of years um I've been at the game now on March 13th this coming year will be nine years at on, on the so, in the social media world. And I've always said if well, I ever made it to 12 years, I'd stop. You know, so, I mean, I've only got a couple years left before I'm, I'm going to probably call it quits with social media, at least at, at, at any kind of level. You know, I'll throw a video up every few months or something just for, you know, hey, look at this, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Look at this helicopter out of 12-volt drills and, and a sump pump I built. <laughs> right. Maggie's going to fly so it for Izzy, us. Watch. <laughs> Izzy, you're, you're, the, you're, the, you're the Tarantino of the maker world? You're only going to do 12 years and then you're out? I, I don't know. After a while, social media loses its lackluster, you know, and it's not, mm-hmm. you know, for me it was never about being in the limelight. It was more about relationships and and you know cool people and finding like-minded folks to you know hang out with and um, uh, and you know i'm a businessman so it made sense for me to look at the business side of the platform and what that looks like and do it in a way that 
helps other people rather than just trying to put money in my pocket, um, but actually make a difference, make some cool thing, make some cool things, help others. Um, and I've done all that. So it's like, you know, we just want to do some fun things. And there's a few things on my bucket list for social media that I, I, I would like to do that I still haven't. Um, but you know, 12 years is enough. I'm, I'm getting close to where I want to s slow down. <laughs> so, you know, okay. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is within the next three years, there's, there's going to be a drill powered sub at some, some point <laughs> we're going to get a video. Yeah. That's why, that's why we invited you on the show today. I'm, I'm not sure going to promise a sub, but I will promise this. <laughs> there will be some kind of glass bottom observation, waterborne vehicle powered by a drill. <laughs> That's or see-through bottom. Like I don't know if it's going to be glass guy? or not. See-through bottom. <laughs> and then I'm going to take it out into the bull bay over here south of Charleston, and I'm going to film bull sharks from it. I like it. Uh, uh, that would that would scratch the. I'm edge. bringing yeah. extra batteries too. <laughs> yeah, that's a good so idea. This will be the and first the first maker made glass bottom submarine ever <laughs> oh, it may end up a submarine <laughs> well yeah i don't think that's the intention it's gonna be intentional it'll end up that way yeah. yeah yeah you just relabel the video afterwards it's fine what's that <laughs> you just change the name of the video after the results come in right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, you know it should probably be a collaboration with jimmy he makes like the first half as like a canoe and then you flip it around and turn it into a sub you know, it's not that hard. It. Cup, cup, just a little bit of glue here and there, and you're you're good to go. You know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, what I do understand totally. about buoyancy, if you filled a canoe with water, <clears throat> and it wasn't made out of a material lighter than water, it would sink. So. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> something tells is, me. Is, yeah. Something tells me polycarbonate and resin, not lighter than water. <laughs> so. We're gonna find yeah. out within. We, three we years. probably are. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm intrigued oh, now. I, I didn't used to have a fascination with submarines, but suddenly I'm interested. You know, if you go online, I'd be willing to bet you could find a bunch of people who have made submarines. And like, yeah, just I would just guess 30% of them of... died in them. <laughs> oh, jeez. <Yeah>. Isn't, <laughs> isn't that how... Uh, um, the homemade planes. Seeker, isn't that how he started? Isn't that how Doug started? Didn't he make a uh, a submarine early on? If you go way back, do you follow Sailing Vessel Seeker? Do you nope. know? He's been the, the boat the internet built. He's building a gigantic boat. Oh, it's yeah, now yeah. Sitting, I know who you're talking at about. The Seeker, yeah. He's building it for yeah. um, for colleges so people can rent, the colleges can yeah. rent it and take it out to do yeah. research. And it's sitting at the um, down in Tulsa at the port of Catoosa, I think. Is it now? To get, to get insurance and everything ironed out before it sets set sail oh man the last time i saw it they were just putting in the electrical i hadn't seen that they'd gotten that far on it yeah and it's been months i mean they they took it to the port and then there were issues with the port not putting it in because of insurance but i think his early if you go way back um and look at some of his really early videos or maybe he's posted them after the fact mm -hmm. he made a submarine a working submarine that that he yeah. actually uh, that guy is like 50 early, times early smarter on. than i am though and so he's just crazy. if you watch yeah. him i've watched a few of his shows he's just a hyper intelligent individual yeah so it, it's fun i mean he gets a lot of flack because he's just like kind of devil may care as far as 
you know, safety and, and doing stuff, or at least he takes on that attitude. Then he um, and I would get along well. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, just do it and use your common sense sort of person. Mm-hmm. I'm sensing a collaboration in the future. <laughs> I don't know. He's way out of my league. He's... <laughs> He'd, he'd hang out with me for a minute, walk out the door going, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> Listen, Seeker, all I need is about 48 drills we can get this boat going. I'm telling That's you. Right. <laughs> what It'll do you happen. need a 50, a 300, a 350 horse power motor? We just need some drills. <laughs> we just need some drills. Let me tell you, with the gear reduction, awesome. we're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to move it up half a mile an hour, but we're still going to move. <laughs> It'll move. It'll move. We'll never hit anything. Let me tell you something. That's because the, right. the mountains can get out of the way before you get there. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, we're, we're going to talk more in, uh, in the, the spotlight segment for you, but we're going to move on to Tom now. Tom, what's your personal history with productionizing? Uh, not much, but... I've always had that mentality of uh, being more efficient. As a kid, we delivered newspapers, and even as I'm, I got this from my father. I mean, he was just always doing math out loud with us for fun. Um, but even as we're folding newspapers, putting them in the bag, throwing them into the car or the bags or whatever we're doing, we're all timing ourselves constantly. Like, I delivered papers for years, and we never stopped timing ourselves as to how fast we could bag a newspaper and like doing it over, you know, timing ourselves over doing a bundle versus two bundles versus the entire job and just running those calculations in our head the entire time for really absolutely no reason. But it's fun to like drill down on some of those menial tasks, especially if they're menial, like you just have nothing else to think about. So why not try and do that? And you know, even like calculating how much is left and how much time you have left um, and things like that. I mean, we did that with, we stuffed envelopes for ADT security. We, we did all kinds of crazy stuff as kids. Um, and that's all fun. And now, you know, as, as a lot of you know, like I've started doing 3D printing and started my website to sell that, that stuff. And there's not a lot of production things associated with that simply because it's a printer like the you can only you know you can drill down on like the slicers um programming of of how it's printing and things like that and some of those efficiencies but that world it's not as important i would i shouldn't say it's not important but it's not as important on a small small scale right. um you know the day that i have 30 printers running that's gonna that's gonna start to matter right but um Izzy, I saw I saw your your short you um, Instagram video about starting a cutting board business, and I, let me tell you, man, that the way you laid that out is exactly how my brain works, and I'm like, you know, you talked, you did the math real quick and dirty out loud, and you're like, you know, you're you're in the high six figures with you know so much work put in, right, um, and I'm like. I feel like I just want to do that for fun. 
Like, I want to go through that process for fun. And when I only make 50000 I'm going to slam you on all the social medias <laughs> that I only made $50,000. Yeah, do that, for sure. In my spare time. Absolutely. Right? Do you know what I'm getting? And then I'll come back yeah, and say, you need but, to optimize your workflow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. No, but, like, I'm like, you know, you watch something like that and you're like, you know what? Who? What if the guy's half wrong? Right? Like, what if... Oh, God, you guy, mean, what if I can you, only make 90000 a year doing this? Yes, right? Like, isn't that... That's right, yeah. And he I said I could do six figures. <laughs> just lied to me. I'm, I'm going to sue him for 10000 just to make up the difference. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. No, but you're so you're so spot on with just that. And it, it didn't have to be about cutting boards. No. Like, it could... I mean, cutting boards is a great example, but... It could have been so many things. I think production. It can be so many things. I think production takes. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people start that sort of business um, because they enjoy kind of the the time in the shop and the handcraftedness and stuff. And then turning it into production, it takes away from that. And so when they are at the verge of, you know, actually making money doing what they would be doing. They quit because that it's not yeah. it's not hanging yeah. out in the shop, you know, taking their time making something anymore, and that's a hard one to to recognize or to say no. I'm this Tanda, is you money you hit the nail right smack dab on the head with the fifty pound sledgehammer. That's what it's yeah. about right there. It's people don't want to do repetitive work. They mm-hmm. don't want to do uncomfortable work. I mean, and I, I will know tell I'm you right now, every entrepreneur not, that yeah. ever made it, you know what he was good at or she was good at. Doing Hiring the uncomfortable do that work at the right time. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, doing the uncomfortable yeah. work. No. So if mm-hmm. you have a thing that you make, let's say it's a thing, and you, you know, no production background, no, you know, no history of optimization, none of that. But if you make that thing a hundred times, imagine how much more efficient you'll be at making it than you were the first time. Okay, so that becomes well, and how much and how much you'll raise the bar against your competitors who who have no idea how to do it efficiently. Right. And, you'll, and, that, and that difference will become bigger and bigger. Yeah. Well, and you're also, you, you would also be up against people who are making one-offs, two-offs, three-offs, instead of, instead of, I'm making 50 of these every week for a year, you know, and I can, and I know my, I know where my profit set's at. Let's say I know that I'm going to make $90 on this thing that I'm going to make 50 of every week for a year. Right. You know, it's, it's it's simple or, or finding that or finding the thing with margin, but not but you know right. trying to find that thing well, that still goes into that same market like the knife holders or something. Right. Where it's like I can yeah. knock these out quick and they're, you know, they have a high margin because they're unique. Um, well, yeah. And let me let me tell you guys just a quick example or a quick story, a true story um, that happened to us. So when we started this, this was pre-COVID, pre-all the crazy things going on out in the universe, and our material costs were um, were pretty reasonable. Like I was buying a sheet of half-inch HDPE that we make our quick locks out of for one hundred ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I can make X amount of X amount of them out of a sheet of HDPE. Um, so I knew my profit. Where, I, where my profit was. I knew what the time it was to make them. I knew I could optimize that. And, and I knew all those things. Then the prices jumped considerably. I'm now paying $270 a sheet for that same piece of HDPE wow. in the last 16 Man. months. Okay, so I have to do one of two things. I have to get better at making them so I can make more of them faster. 
or I have to raise my prices. Now, when it comes to quick locks, there's a cap on what people are willing to pay. Now, if, you, if I don't know if either of you, any of you guys have ever touched these things, but these are big, beefy, well-made. There's no nothing on this is skimped. When you pick it up, you it's heavy. You know, you're like, okay, this is well-made. This is a thing. Right. Um, so I rather than trying to raise my prices and just see what happens, I decided I was going to get better at making them. So we went out and bought a, a bigger, faster, more pro CNC. We optimized our, our, our production. We brought, we were looked for people to help us do assembly. You know, um, one of the things that we're really focusing on here, because we're a small manufacturing facility and I don't want to expand, I want to expand, but without expanding, <laughs> let me explain. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of really small light assembly. So rather than trying to hire more people, bring them in house, house those people, build facilities, pay extra insurance, pay all the, you know, all the stuff that's involved. We did, we went to the, we went out to and found unemployable people. And I don't mean, you know, uh, deadbeats or people who just don't want to work. I mean, moms that have three kids that ha are in school full time and they went through a bad divorce. They're not getting a lot of help. And then we gave them, that happens guys. I know. And you know, no, I'm, talk I'm about laughing it, but... because a good friend of mine at one point of the like six employees I had or whatever, almost all of them fit that category. And oh, a friend that's... of mine was like, are you running a business or a halfway house? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm running my business and I'm also helping people. Right. So, yeah. Well, one of the things that we did is we put together a program now where we have um, some people who are, they come, they pick up these bins of parts, they take them home, they put them together. We, uh, we do offer timelines. We like, it's like, we need these parts within a week and we, and we don't throw more at them than the, it's very easily handled. And they come back um, usually a lot sooner than a week later and drop off the parts. And I write them a check for 500 bucks. That's mm -hmm. work they could do at home in their free time when they're watching TV, when their kids are at school. Um, and there's no, you know, we pay a piece rate so they know when they leave with the parts, when they come back with them, they know exactly how much they're going to make. And it's a very fair piece rate. We're not trying to take advantage of anybody. Um, so we've upped our production game. We're controlling our costs by offering piece rates. We're controlling our costs by not bringing more employees under the roof. Now, we're not sending anything dangerous home with people. It's more like, here, take these six screws, put them in these six holes, and put this part aside. Um, so we optimize our ability to produce more for less and still stay competitive with our pricing. You know, and that's, you know, those are the little things that people can, I'm not talking about, hey, you need to go find some people to do your stuff for you. I'm just saying, think about your workflow, optimize it, and do the hard work. You know, if you tell me I don't want to do that, I'm like, fine, don't, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I can tell you right now, if you want to make bang money, you know, get good at making a lot of stuff and then learn how to market it. And that's, that's, there's no magic formula. It's hard work, period. The answer is if you want to make big money with what you're doing right now and there's a market for it, there's a niche for it, you can get better at making at it, get better at making it, better at marketing, and then do the do the freaking work. And quit complaining about, I don't want to do repetitive work. I don't want to do this. Okay, don't. <laughs> Nothing's going to change, y'all. It's going to stay the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. I was working with a guy. What draws me? Oh, I was working with a guy doing a, a medical device, and I was going to meet with him one day, and he was like, Oh, no, wait, I can't meet Tuesday morning. That's when all my sewers come in. And he was doing a similar thing. And all of this cloth materials and everything, um, different different people who had worked for him for years, just they left with all of the pieces. 
and they sewed them themselves in at their leisure and then they came back in on Tuesday morning and all met and picked up you know more material and dropped off what they had had produced yeah um, works well and it's cool. a cert- and it's a benefit to a lot of folks in the community that can't work traditionally too mm-hmm. you know and there are people out there who can't work traditionally that want to work you know that are willing to work and they're willing to do those unpleasant repetitive jobs to feed themselves their family and improve their quality of life they're willing to do that it's just a matter of how you find them and how you work it out so that you can work with them you know so there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunities out there and you know the cutting board thing is just something Megan and I have not done that full time for years and years and years we've messed around with it we've tested it we know it works we just you know because we've done it it's not like I'm just spewing stuff out these are things we've done we've tested them we've put the effort in right. we put the work in it works you know, but it's just a matter of yeah, what, optimizing what me- it, optimizing and marketing. Those are the two things that you know folks just don't want to face. Mm-hmm. And that's what draws me to it is, I, I I've never made a cutting board. I just I have no interest in really doing that, um, even though I'm very capable. But the whole idea of starting that niche business, and you know, dragging my son along with me through that, just like the the lessons that will teach him. And um, even the relationships that I'll build with all these, you know, with with those small shops that I get into and things like that, like that's there's more value than just cutting boards there. Um, so it just seems really interesting. And I want to prove you wrong. I want to I want to, <laughs> you know, come up 50 percent of your goal and then and then obviously, you know, show expose you to the world that you can only make ninety thousand dollars. So please do. Please do. Please do. Yes. <laughs> if you want marketing help or tips on how to reach out or what to look for, or I'm, yeah, hook you know, call me. I am not hard to find. I'm awesome. everywhere. Awesome. We'll do. He's he's everywhere as long as it's in Georgia. Just saying. I don't know. I'm in South Carolina. <laughs> oh, so then, no, yeah. he's not Charleston. in South. He, as long as it's he's in tra- South Carolina, off, I go Tom. to Georgia twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> For WorkbenchCon and WorkbenchCon, workbench, work I can't talk tonight. WorkbenchCon mm-hmm. and then I'll go, I go down and usually visit a couple of friends down there once or twice a year. So, All right, moving right along. Tanda, why don't you give us a sample of your personal history for uh, productionizing? Productionizing. I think my, my history with productionizing um, kind of stemmed from wanting to do that, you know, very similar to Izzy's story about wanting to be that artist and make that one special thing that people are willing to pay a lot for. Um, so probably my most successful business started out, I wanted to make, um, program a computer chip with us, you know, to do a particular unique thing and then sell that chip programmed, um, to provide, to provide that function to manufacturers. And so I had a few different designs, you know, that were for embedded systems or whatever. And I started going around to OEMs, um, looking to see if they would make my circuit board that went with my electric product. And I kept running into people that were saying, well, where are you getting your chips programmed? And I was saying, well, I program my own, I program my own chips. Um, you know, I've got all the adapters and everything and I'm programming all my own programmables on the board. And they were like, well, could you program ours? And I was like, well, I 
you know, small quantities or whatever. But after I heard that enough, then it was sort of just recognizing that that was something no one wanted to do in the industry. And so then I just bought the equipment and became basically a printing press. I've described it to people as I wanted to be an author, but I wanted, but I liked the hands-on. So I, I bought a printing press to print my book and no one was really all that interested in my book, but they had books they wanted printed. And so then I started just running a printing press instead of being an author because I, I kept doing firmware design for a few companies um, and embedded system design, but actually programming and packaging and labeling chips for other people. They send me the design, I program the chip, I package it, I label it, I send it back to them ready to put on a board. Um, just overtook the rest of my business because it was something that they needed done and they wanted it done just in time because some, you know, some of these things would arrive at their machines. Um, their machine could build a board every 30 seconds, but it took 40 seconds to program one of the chips on the board. So I would get them all ahead of time, have them programmed, have them labeled, sent back into them on what we call tape and reel, ready to feed into their machines. And it was just mundane, boring work. I mean, after it became a kind of a well-oiled machine, um, I put in a lot of time just sitting there at a machine feeding it chips, sitting there at a programmer all night long, putting in another chip, hitting the button, making sure it passed, um, or making sure an automated machine was fed. Um, but, you know, I'd have to agree that um, that was more successful than any of my more artistic engineering, my idea sorts of things. It was something that just needed to be done and needed to be done efficiently. So mm -hmm. I think Tanda. That that's a, a good a good approach. Yeah. Tanda, it sounds like you, you ran through a lot of chips and I'm, I'm sure that you had like your your own personal preference but what i'm curious is these machines are very technical what kind of salsa were you using with these chips was it extra spicy was it mild was there a chipotle salsa or was it something crazy like mango because oh, I, please i'm don't having trouble no, just just straight straight green chili I mean, oh, that's I, the I worst. Live, yeah, I, oh live new Mexico. The new Mexican. I live in New Mexico. I should have so known. So it's it's just it's just you know straight up green chili, green green yeah. or red. It's the state question here. We actually I'm have not a state that. question, and it's green green or red. Yeah, yeah. I'm not eating. Tom that. Tom can Google that. It's uh, it's true. That's awesome. Yeah, it'll be new green Mexico for me. State question. Be, I would green, definitely green pick red. green. Yep. But uh, yeah, no, it was. Uh, and it wasn't, it was expensive equipment, but it wasn't really complicated. It just had to be cared and fed constantly. Mm. But uh, Oh, Tanda, quick uh, fact check here. It is not green or red. It is, uh, it's red or green is the question. Oh, red oh. or green. So, uh, yeah. 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 Oh, man. Big discrepancy. Here. I could get kicked out of the state. <laughs> Lucky nobody listens. You mean the country? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I might have to turn in my passport yeah, yeah, from from New Mexico, and then I can't uh, can't go to the sorry, U.S. anymore. Sure. Yeah, you definitely need to do some yeah. chrono chronological discussions there, whether that's important or not. Right. Right. Yeah. That's uh, well, and, I think, and a. I think chrono answer. chronologically, green comes before red, not red before green, doesn't it? So well, it kind of depends on which way you're going down the down the spectrum. The <laughs> Whether you're going down or yeah. up the spectrum. <laughs> well, if you're if you're arranging them alphabetically or by wavelength, or fair. It, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Christmas are we coming Christmas from top, top to answer. bottom or bottom to top? How, which direction are we way, going? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if somebody asks you that question in New Mexico, you can just you can say Christmas. That's a valid answer. <laughs> that means you want both. I, 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 I don't want both. I'm not having that. That, that green chili stuff is nasty. I'm not eating that. I say, say it all you want. I send PJ pictures of, of green chili on pizza, green chili on hamburgers, green chili sushi. Are we talking I mean, green chili like tomatilla green chili, or what are we talking here? Pepper green? We're talking like uh, Anaheim green chili, only in New Mexico you would get a hatch green chili. But it's it's just a hot green pepper, and if you dry it in the sun after it ripens, then you can crush it up and make red red sauce or red pepper out of it. But uh, it's ubiquitous here. And any kind of restaurant you go to, you can get green chili. It doesn't matter. If it's an Italian restaurant, they'll have like a green chili linguine. If it's a, if it's a Chinese restaurant, you can probably get, uh, you know, some kind of green chili roll or something. All right. We, we've probably stopped talking about food or we might need to cut the show short. <laughs> okay. PJ, you know, PJ I, what's, I your productionizing, what's your productionizing history? <laughs> Uh, you know, I listen to all you guys talk about math and, and uh, optimization, and there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of that for me. About three years ago, I got on this, uh, this kick of I thought that making finely made wooden boxes, felt-lined wooden boxes with uh, brass hardware was, was the thing to do. You know, this, this uh, was right before Christmas. I'm like, man, I'm going to make all these really cool boxes making them all out of like pallet wood so it's going to be like next to nothing in cost except for the hardware and the and I was like man let me let me do all this stuff and I did not sell a single one that year that year bad marketing yeah it was bad marketing and just I don't know I I did I did everything wrong you know but I, I sold a couple of them eventually over the years I still have some that's how bad it is but uh, one thing I will say is, and I don't remember who this came from, might might have been Jimmy, but when you make one thing, you're not looking at it the same way if you're making 20 of them. When, when you go into that production mindset, the way you approach something is very different because it has to be repeatable and it has to be um, the same. It has to be the same, you know? So that... that affected how I decided to approach the boxes. I made a box joint jig, uh, or I'm sorry, box joint sled for my table saw. And that's what I used to make all the boxes. And so that was, I would say, like the, the production tool. I can't remember who it was that came up with the box. Um, some Somebody did a YouTube video on it. I, I made this this sled that somebody else designed it. I modified it to suit my needs, and that would I would say that that was like the bulk of the preparation for my production run of boxes. Everything else was just by hand, you know, cutting it on the bandsaw. Or um, I did make a hinge jig for these tiny tiny brass hinges that had to be like inset like a I don't know a millimeter or two like they were super thin so i i made tiny little things that helped me with the production of these boxes but i really haven't done that with anything else like that was the only time that i did um something that was meant to be repeatable on purpose and of course you know i probably did have the worst marketing ever 
but it, it left this bad taste in my mouth. Uh, also, I have tried to make other things, not in mass production, but just ideas of things that I have, you know, I want to, I thought, oh, this will be a good product. You know, people will buy it. So I make one for myself. And then I, you know, I go on the internet, I'm on Instagram, like, who thinks this is cool? Who wants to buy one? I'm like, zero people respond. I'm like, all right, this is only interesting to me. That's it's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. So I am now at that point, which we've talked about on other shows, where I am reproducing parts for machines that are either not easy to get or don't exist. And I'm, I'm using the 3D printer as a, let's say, low-volume production machine because I'm not selling 20 of these at a time. I'm selling like one or two a week. And it's been, it's been like consistently a couple of these a week. And my goal is to just keep building up this catalog of products to the point where I might only be selling one or two a week of this, of product A, but I'm also selling one or two a week of product B, C, D, E, F. So I'm, I'm having constantly an output of the things that I make. So by the time I get to Tom's goal of 100 things, if I am selling one of 100 different things every week, I'm doing pretty good. You know, it, it's, it's not high volume production. It's not repetitive either because it's not always the same thing. So I like a little variety. Um, I'm not afraid of hard work, but experience for me personally has crafted me or guided me to this path of you need a varied workflow. Doing one thing is not for you. I'm talking about me personally. I don't do well with just one thing. And like when you guys are talking about the cutting boards, Cutting boards are the bane of my existence. I tried to do one, and I had the worst experience ever. Like, not only could I, 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 I didn't even build the whole thing. I was just repairing one. I was repairing a cutting board, and then I tried to sell it. And it was like I was try, like, I was out on the streets holding a bag of cocaine, going, "Who wants to buy this?" And the cops are just standing there, going, "Nobody better touch that bag." You're getting a that's that's how I felt. Like no one. And so, like, I had everybody else is out there making cutting boards like it's nobody's business. They're selling 90000 a year, however many cutting boards are being sold. I don't know who's doing all this cooking, honestly. I mean, I cook, and I have the same <laughs> cutting board for the last eight years, you know. But the point I'm making is other people can do cutting boards, and they have no problem. I do a cutting board, and it's like you got to move a mountain to get somebody to buy my cutting board. And I'm just like, all right, I, I, I got to go into this area where nobody else is really going. That's That's been sort of my trend is go into the spots where it's not – no one's shined a light on it yet. And that's what I'm doing. And it's, it's working for me. Um, I had – let me think of the percentage here because I don't want to give numbers. Uh, I had, let's say, a 30 to 35 percent increase – in my income last year because I just did all of my tax work. So for 2020, uh, or I'm sorry, 2021, I made, let's say, 35% more than I made in 2020. And I was talking to my father about this. And his response was, 
oh, good, you're finally taking it serious like a business. <laughs> like, like, Pop, I've been taking it serious for years. You can't start off successful. You know, it takes time to build everything up. I said, I'm doing a lot of different things. And I said, a lot of it takes just a reputation and getting getting the word out there. And I said, you know, there's now there are people that refer other people to me when it has to do with old machines. And I said, and that wasn't happening four years ago, you know. So now I'm a guy that other people know. I'm I'm the vintage machine guy for certain things, you know, like Delta Rockwell mm -hmm. tools, Walker Turner tools. <clears throat> um, and I had a guy, I just had a, an interesting experience. So I sell stuff on eBay and there was a guy that messaged me and he's like, will your Euler spindle cap for the Walker Turner that you're selling walk on this model? This is the one I have. And he sends me a picture. And I'm like, no, that's a different one. I haven't made that yet, but it's on my list. And then somebody else contacted me on Facebook Marketplace to start up a conversation about buying this drill press that I had totally restored. And then it turns out it's the same guy. He had, he was just, he was thinking about buying mine instead of restoring his Walker Turner. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I sent you a message on eBay. You're, you're the, the guy that makes all the parts. And I'm, I, I found it amazing that he was able to connect these two things together. And so he's, he's, this guy is actively waiting on me to produce this other oiler cap. But in the meantime, he's like, I didn't know if I should restore this drill press. And I said, that is a rock solid drill press. They're very, very well made. You have no problems. Like there's nothing you're gonna screw up taking it apart. And I gave him some basic instructions. I told him what to do. And I just gave him like, just like a little mini list of checklist. And he was super thankful. And he's like, man, whenever you get that oiler done, you got one sold. Just let me know and I'll buy it. So it's like, that is how everything is starting to build for me. I'm, I am, I'm very slow with uh, product line as far as like everything builds for me really, really slowly. But when I get the momentum going, it does well. So that's that's where I'm at. So it sounds like you're really super passionate about vintage tools and res restoration and that kind of stuff, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to give you live on air advice right now how you can increase your income for next year 300% instead of 35%. Hit me. You're, you're a tech guy. You know how to build websites, stuff like that. You don't have to be fancy yep. pants, but you can build one, right? Yep. So yep. here's what you do. You scour the internet for every vintage manual that you can find. Then you start a website, vintagetoolmanuals.com. You put every manual you can possibly find in there, and then you say, you know, free. You're going to give these away. You're not, you're not asking money for this. So people come looking for you for these vintage manuals, and then you say, okay, here's the manual. In return, I get your email address. So they give you your email address. You send them the manual. Now you're building this email list of people who are very interested in what you're doing. You want to build a business based on vintage manuals. So now you're building this. You're going to start massing this huge email list because people are always searching for manuals on tools and how to repair them. So you start building this, then you start once a month, don't go crazy with it and don't flood people's inboxes. You start putting out some of the repair stuff you're doing. Look at the, this month, you know, on vintagemanualrepair.com or vintagetoolmanuals.com, we made this part for this machine and this is what the thought process was behind it. Do an article, make a part, 
Just keep doing that. Get people comfortable with the fact that you're communicating with them and then expand your capabilities. Expand your ability to make mm. other parts for that, for those machines. And you, in a year, will expand your, your income 300% and you'll have, a, you'll have a, a huge email list. You'll be building a reputation in that tool industry. It's not, you know, all those little, just little things. It's coming at it sideways instead of head on are those things that will set you apart from what everybody else is doing. So that's well. I, I already know where to get all the manuals. I just have to go over to Keith Rucker's website and take them. <laughs> all I'm doing is I'm telling you, if you start it, yeah, and you not. you SEO it a little bit, you're gonna get the the traffic because people are searching. You're basically saying build build your own customer base before you need to right monetize that customer base. You, well, you're monetizing it right from the start because you've got these, you're getting yeah. these emails lists and you're offering product. So if, as okay. you build your email list, each one of those emails you send up, you're you're showing them you built this product. Sometimes people are going to be interested in that product. So in a kind of a not a non-direct way, you're monetizing what you're doing. So there's just, I mean, and that's yeah. Instead of just you know, when you're fighting a bull, you don't try to smash him in the head with the hammer. You sneak around the side. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's solid advice, yeah, Izzy. Yeah. That's solid advice. And that's just, I, I mean, that's just one idea. There's, there's, you know, how do you think about what you're doing? How can you monopolize on the interest of other people? Because that's a niche market. That's an amazing niche market. Right. With Very so much, much potential so. for so many different avenues of approach and monetization. So that's, that's a cool market. You know, I won't yeah. be one of your customers because I like my tools bright and shiny. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that, that's okay. We we don't judge here. We don't judge here, Izzy. It's, it's okay that you're you're buying. Oh no, brand new I tools. I judge all the DJ time. I'm always shaking my head bit. at Jimmy Duresta. I'm like, oh no, not another printing press, man. <laughs> <laughs> no way you're going to get parts for that printing press. At yeah, all. he's going to have to make them. <laughs> So I, I just uh, there was a post today on uh, Facebook. Uh, I don't think it was. It might have been Tony Rouleau who posted. I can't remember, but it was somebody that had this visual map, and it said tool companies and who owns them. And it, so it had like a grouping of like the the companies we know, and then it, and then it showed the parent company that owned them. You know, in these yep. groups. And I posted up there and I said, notice neither Rockwell nor Delta is listed up there and and tony said um he said yeah that's because um you know dewalt bought them and then sold them and then all of their uh, ability to make replacement parts disappeared and he says my dad had a had a he worked at a, 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 um, a hardware store where they used to service all of the rockwell delta you know tools for like schools and stuff like that and then when the parts disappeared um, so did, you know, everybody started replacing all the tools because you couldn't get the parts. And my response to him was, yeah, because I'm making them now. <laughs> 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 so, you know, it's like, it's, it's true. You know, I mean, right now it's, it's just the, you know, the plastic, you know, it's just the 3D printing. But as things progress, you know, I want to move into other areas. It just, it's, it's a matter of just pacing and timing and the amount of space I have and the materials that are available but I know that um, I still have to test this, but I have, I have read online that there is a nylon carbon fiber filament that is supposed to be lighter and stronger than steel. 
Now, I don't know how wear resistant it is, but I would like to test that out. I'd like to see if I can print something that's made out of nylon carbon fiber, if it will hold up just as well as cast iron. You know, if I put it in place of something that's some part that you can't buy anymore. Um, so yeah, these are like future goals. I have things that I, I want to produce and, and I have to test along the way. So the pace I'm going is, you know, I'm right on track. Um, but uh, another thing, Izzy, that uh, I, I don't, I can't remember. I think I sent you pictures of the uh, the Art Deco drill press, mm -hmm. the, the one that I painted up with all the abstract art. Um, I have someone that is uh, waiting on me. I have a, a they want a commission. They want a Delta 14-inch drill press completely painted with abstract art. So that's another niche market where I would like to push into that eventually, where that's like 50% of what I'm doing is taking these old machines just like you were talking about, like you wanted to make like the one thing and sell it for a lot. That's that's the goal for me eventually, yeah. you know. You know what would be cool would be an entire line of vintage machines done in steampunk style. I would be down for a couple display pieces for sure. That's cool. That I've I've thought about doing not steampunk, but I have um, I have a a, a Delta a 1948 Delta drill press, a floor model that I did the whole thing, uh, Art Deco, it's, it's blue and gold, and it's a very specific style with the castings and everything. And what I want to do, uh, in addition to like the art pieces, is I would like to paint a series of machines in this line. Like let's say a drill press, a jointer, uh, a unisaw. Like I would like to have like four or five from like the same time period, all painted as a set, but painted better than what you could get from the factory like these things look like a hot rod you know and sell them that way i want to sell them as a set you're buying like a ready-made vintage workshop that looks fantastic mm -hmm. so that's another goal that'd be cool that'd be very cool well sucky darn i think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy loops and stuff Hello, this is Chet down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you trying to get production started in your shop and you're just finding you don't have enough time or you really could use some help? Well, we've got the solution for you. Introducing Johnson's Magiomatic. That's right, this compact, super strong assistant is great for helping you put things together. Great shop organizer, great at helping you move heavy things. We gotta tell you though, the Magiomatic has a built-in coffee maker. That's right, you don't even have to leave the shop. The Magiomatic is right there for you. However, the Magiomatic does not sand and does not clean. We also must warn you, the Magiomatic will constantly talk back, may cause laziness, may also cause blindness, swears like a sailor, and keep away from small children and pets. The Magiomatic costs only $2,956.27 and can be found in our Android aisle. Please contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Izzy, what skill goes well with productionizing? Patience. <laughs> Patience is not a skill. That is a it is. It's been used before. Nope, it's been used before. We've let it go before, and I'm counting it. You mean you've said it before, and I said no. That's what you mean, Tom. Probably. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It's been said before. All right. All so right. here's and, one. And then I talked you into saying yes. 
Oh, don't back down, Izzy. Come on. No, you're no, stronger I got than that. one that the kids are going to love. Um, hand-eye coordination, kids. So play lots of video games. It goes really well with the production industry. If you want to set an assembly oh, line man, and I was assemble a thousand to parts my kid a day, to this. play those video games. That's a skill, it's for true. sure. That's a skill. People make money doing that. Okay, okay. Tom, <laughs> what skill goes well yeah. with productionizing? Well, I was going to say patience, but I guess I guess that's out. Um, <laughs> how about problem solving? Identifying, you know, identifying the things um, that can be done in a more efficient way. Oh yeah, that's a hundred percent necessary. Yeah. Only if you're in the management aspect. If it's not done before you walk up to the assembly line, there's problems. Wait, say that again. If it's not done. See, if you're walking up to an assembly as a, as an employee or someone who's just doing the yeah. assembly. All that should have been yeah. done already. All you have to mm. do is mindlessly sit there and put parts together. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. That that's definitely Tom's job. Yes, for hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Tanda, what skill goes well with productionizing? I think optimizing goes optimizing. goes well with productionizing. So yeah, yeah. Izzy you, said it about yeah. eighteen times. Yeah, that's that's yeah, true. If you've, Yep. If you find yourself wanting to productionize, then you know find find people to put stuff together, and then start start becoming the optimizer and stop making the, what you're making. Well, hundred percent. The first well, thing you need you, to optimize you when you're in production it. is yourself, and I don't necessarily mean your attitude or your abilities. I mean the amount of time that you spend walking from one place to another to do what you do. Whether mm -hmm. that's do I have to walk this far to bring parts over here? Or do I have to? walk this far to create, complete an operation. And so optimization starts at, starts with you and then it goes to the process. So that's one of the biggest companies, most one of the biggest mistakes most companies make is they don't optimize their travel time for their employees. So if they have to bring parts in from 10, you know, way over on the other side of the factory and someone's got to break off to do that, it costs them a lot of money because it mm, happens right. every day. So put my table saw in my bedroom that's going to be a hard sell to the wife. You just get, you you get, get up and just start making well, cutting if you're boards. storing your lumber in your bedroom, you might want to try and talk her into it. <laughs> Is that all right? I like, a couple wood jokes there. I'm going to let them go, though. And, uh... Tom, Tom, you're moving into a new house. All you got to do is just massage that situation, and it's taken care that's of. True. You, that's you, true. You've got to move everything that's anyway. True. Just saying. Tom's going to yeah, be sleeping by himself, folks. <laughs> Yeah. No, he'll have his right table next saw. To the saw. Yeah, yeah, the saw. No, yeah, I'll have my table saw. I'll be fine. Saw and log. Could just imagine it now. Three o'clock in the morning. Tom's rolling over. Quit poking me. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh shoot. Is that is that the is that your fence or you're just happy to see me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, PJ, what do you got? Well, I mean, you guys have all talked about the process, but nobody went back to the 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 starting point. Design. You need to design the thing oh, that you're making. I was gonna halfway through the show. I was like, I'm out. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> now, Izzy, I you say that because you know it, it just rubs I'll... Tom the wrong way. That's why I picked it. it was... We banned Izzy early on. We had a banned design for like 40 episodes because we said it like the first 12 episodes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh golly. Well, it's better than your previous answers of like reading and 
Uh, I should put together your your top five worst answers. Well, production you mean the typically best excludes the the design. Once you're in production, that you you assume that all that stuff's already been done. <gasps> so, oh, so it's it, been debunked. It, you got to come up with something else. Is he just invalidated my answer? Well, all right, hold on. I've never done this before on the show, but maybe I'm going to defend PJ. <laughs> When you were talking... <laughs> what is maybe, happening? Let's not get carried away here. Um, when you were talking about going back... Oh, shoot. Was it the furniture that you were talking about? And you were saying... Oh, no, no, no. It was your um, your quick... Your, um, quick locks, vacuum, yep. What are they called? Thanks. Um, you're like, we need to... You know, our, our costs went way up, so we need to look at production and buy a new machine and stuff. Did you not think to go back to the design... Uh, I'm sorry. Was going back to the design an option, or was it already a very well-made design that you didn't want to change? Do you know what I'm asking? Yes, it was. Because sometimes you can increase production by changing the design, no? Mm, not in this case, because we have product that's already out there sure. that has to marry to that. Uh, if somebody wants to upgrade their system and buy more quick locks, we can't necessarily yep. change any of the dimensions. Of it, so it gotcha. needs to marry okay. to it. So at that point, we're at, we're not talking about a complicated product here. We're talking about something of that's simple. Sure, sure. Simple components. Yeah. So there's a lot of simplicity about it. Although, in the when you start, when you really, there's a whole series of design elements that I wanted this to have. For instance, own personal flavor. When I put something together, I like it to click. That didn't have to be mm -hmm. there, but I spent hours. Going through different files, finding that perfect click. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I had I had to have it. So I mean, for me, that's a requirement for me. So if it doesn't click, it's yeah. It's, yeah. And then All we right, test so them before cool. they go out. We have like a we have a hose plate there, and each one gets on it. And if the click isn't there, it doesn't go. <laughs> that's awesome, I, Izzy. That, that is that's a one. that's a requirement for Lee. I I have switches, old vintage two button switches. Mm -hmm. Just because you push them and they go chunk, mm -hmm. and and that's that's the only reason. Like I have, I've got Isn't three that like phase. Isn't the most freaking satisfying sound in the world? A good oh, yeah. click or a good any. I don't yeah. care what it is. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I have, I've got the original um, haptic feedback. That, now, right. no one can can see this at home, but I'm holding my hands apart about maybe eight inches. I have a massive General Electric toggle switch, like what would look, look like a normal house switch but on steroids and when you throw that thing it sounds like it just impacted something like it's it sounds like something <laughs> that's just that broke. Whole, that's that bimetal inside of that the big old chunk of bimetal going kerklunk <laughs> yeah 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 that awesome. that i will buy those all day long just for the sound mm -hmm. so yeah that i totally am right there with you that that has to be there in my opinion for it that's a part of the cool factor you know yeah um i, I agree so anyway, but, but, the, going back to it, yeah, the design is not really something we can optimize. It's a, the the manufacturing process. How can we cut them out faster? How can we put them together uh, faster and at less cost? Cool. That that was what we could. Cool. That's what we could optimize. And I'm sure there's other things okay. in there that we could take out. Um, but at that point, it also it also bears to it also bears to to mention that you have to design within the parameters of what you're allotted. And in our case, we have a. 400 square foot garage and a 1000 square foot shop. That's what we've got. So I have to I have, right. when you think about it, what can you work what can you make work in that atmosphere? And how can you make it right. work rather? So I mean if I had a if good, I had a 10,000 so, square foot facility and I could optimize each line to have its own production process instead of sharing space, 
that's a whole different ball game. But I don't have that, so right. um, we design within those parameters. It turns out you it's have to buy a container of, of cutting cool. boards to source your HDPE. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It turns out it was cheaper to just buy a c container full of cutting boards from China. Are no. you seeing what these guys are doing on Etsy now that they changed over with the cutting boards and stuff and the other knickknacky things? They're mm -hmm. buying acacia boards from overseas at like two bucks a piece, laser printing somebody's logo on or name on it, and then reselling them for sixty dollars. Reselling? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Why didn't I do yeah, that? <laughs> That's what, what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna tell PJ. You don't need to box joint those little boxes. Just get you a laser and laser a box joint look on the corner. <laughs> Screw that. Get a chisel and a hammer and you know call it handmade. <laughs> like tick 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 tick. Whose name right. are we putting Ooh, on this cutting? A board? little take a little just piece a of rule yeah. and just pound the edge of the box into the rule to make the indentions so it right. looks like a box joint. Awesome. All right, so so design is out. I'm going to go with my backup choice, which is right in line with you guys, and say organization. Oh, which amen. Fits with yeah. yeah. If you're if That's you're not organized, you you're, you're there. You yeah. go. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Doctor yeah. Dimming would be proud. So Megiomatics are amazing at organization, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Problem is, I can never find anything if it's where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's where the the other subset skill comes in, which is labeling. Once it's organized, you got to label it so that you can find it. And we've come full circle to reading. I don't know how to <laughs> oh, Man, see, Tom? I just don't get it. I don't. Just prove my point for me. Reading is an important skill, okay? You, just, you need just, a just big admit Maggie-O-Matic cutout in foam so you can just go over. <laughs> and as long as the Maggie-O-Matic is where it's supposed to be and you can find it, then you can just put it to work organizing everything else. Oh, no. All you need is a Maggie-O-Matic cut out and foam with her hands on her hip, with her one hip slightly cocked to the side and her head just twisted a little bit. <laughs> Trust me, things get done when that when that look happens. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking the Kaizen foam to put the Maggie in, but, uh, yeah, the cutout would work well as well. Just, you know, a few of them looming well, over you here That's and the there. discount, Maggie-O-Matic. For those who can't swing yeah. that three grand, they can buy the 1995 one sticker in the corner. <laughs> As a, as a motivational yeah. factor, just to, yeah, yeah. We we uh, I heard that Johnson has a has an overstock of those, so you might be able to get them on sale. And now it's time for Gimme Your Best Guest. Yeah. All right, Gimme Your Best Guest is all about the the rest of your skill set. Is he the top five? We know uh, productionizing is number one. What is your number two skill? Doing whatever Maggie tells me to. That's Listen, following listening. orders. Yeah. That's that's not a skill. Yeah, following orders, listening. I yeah. I call it. The true success behind our business is Maggie. So she get, she goes. We need this 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 and this and this and that. And you need to send this dude an email. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I go do it. So listening, we'll say listening is the listening skill is we're talking about skill, here. Yeah, it's a great skill. Okay, all right. But you that 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 is a. Uh, a, a skill that most people don't have nowadays, honestly. Pe people don't listen. What? Tom's proven my point for me. So, huh? Uh, it's, huh? it's an important skill to have. Uh, let's go with number three. Which number three skill is he? Uh, tolerance. You know, I feel like there's a trend here. Machine tolerance or <laughs> socio? Like holding plus or minus five or? Uh... No, my ability to Putting sit up down, with people. 
when we get somebody who calls in sick and put together a thousand parts in a few hours of just doing the Ooh. same thing over and over and over and over and over again and enjoy it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. I can't in all good faith call that a skill, but I don't think I'm gonna get another answer out of you, so we're gonna move on to number four. <laughs> I think being being willing to do do it yourself. What anything you ask someone to do, being willing I, to do it yourself. I'm not is sure, a skill. PJ. We we tolerate you week to week, and, and, and a good. I would say we've been honing that skill. So. <laughs> I don't think you're getting any better at it, Tom. That's that's the point I'm making. It's the oh, same no, amount of tolerance. No. Yeah. That's true. Tanda hit something. You're right. Tanda yeah, hits a, a nail on the head again. She's got she's full of wisdom today. Is um. You know, be, be willing to do the uncomfortable work that you will ask other people to do. I mean, if, if you're not willing to yeah. do that, how can you expect others to do it? So, you know, and if you are in a management position and you want to be a good manager, you don't lead by yelling and screaming and throwing. You lead by example. So you sit down and you do the uncomfortable work with them. You know, that's, that's really the only way to do it as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I, I have the, the opposite thing where... People ask if they can help, and I'm like, no, I'm the only one that can do this. <laughs> Take me too long to explain it to you. I have to do it myself. Get, getting over that is a skill I'm working on uh, <laughs> yeah. because that's yeah, that's, an, yeah. that's actually an impediment to my to my progress. So, I think it is to most right. people. Yeah, I really think, yeah. especially the trend for people who do this for long length periods of time in the maker world, we'll call it, um, tend to be kind of alpha personalities anyway. And a lot of us in some ways are in some shape or for, form or fashion loners in, in, in and of that. Um, it kind of, it's kind of required because a lot of us spend long hours by ourselves tinkering and doing this stuff. So when you start involving other people in there, it kind of goes our, our kind of goes against our nature to, to do that. Um, and I think I got luck. I lucked out in that case because I always had either employees or people I was working with that I was always teaching or educating or explaining to. So it's just, you know, it kind of, not that I'm perfect because I have made a lot of mistakes along the way. I think if I get one thing right out of 100, I'm doing great, you know. I'm a little bit better and my odds are a little bit better now with the, you know, 35 years of experience behind me. But, you know, um, yeah, good, good, good point, Tanda. That was a good one. Hmm. All right. We're up to number five, Izzy. What's your fifth and final skill? Oh. <laughs> I wish I was better prepared for this. Sidebar. Tom, Tanda? Yeah. Yep. This dude has invented like 500 things, and why wasn't inventing his number two skill? I don't understand why I, he's having all these yeah. problems and he's giving me all these like other things, suggestions. It's just not making any sense to me. I, I don't. I'm well, I think it he's could just be, reaching yeah, for it. He, he's, was, he's humble. I he's humble. That's what it is. He's like just, a, a left turn in there somewhere, like ballroom dancing or you know, op- operatic singing or something. I, I was I was even settling for, like, drill-powered things. Singing while as operating? A skill. I don't understand that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll, it looks like he just put the drill Let's battery back on. Yeah, here, here he yeah, is. He's, he's come up. He's got something. I think he's probably... Yeah, is, is he, is that Are we a, back is that on? A, Are we back on, guys? Yeah. So what's your fifth skill, Izzy? Uh, I play the guitar pretty well. I didn't know that. All right, that that is a fantastic thing to learn. So you th- have you bought one of uh, Tim Sway's guitars? No, no, I haven't. That's on my bucket list, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting till I'm close to death. Also, 
That's cool. How long have you been doing that? Is that something you did picked up as a kid too? Oh, I've been playing guitar since I was 10 years old. That's awesome. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I know, I, I'm assuming you guys would, uh, would say inventing would I would say inventing is one of my abilities but to be honest everybody invents oh that would have been a good one everybody that is invents. a good one yeah we everybody, never would have thought of that everybody invents everybody does that <laughs> yeah I'm not the only one that does That's that and it's man. no special skill we all yeah. we all do it yeah you you say that but there's a lot of people out there that have never invented anything Izzy we're just you just happen to be amongst you know gifted people that's all no there's people out there that may say they've never invented anything but have. Did did you guys know yeah. I'm an excellent guitar player? Oh my god. No? No? Yeah. No, I, no I'm, I'm just kidding. I just invented that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a horrible guitar wow. player. I, I'm, I have got a wow. musical bone in my body. But I thought oh, I would invent true. that. Invented just that. kind of on the fly. Yeah. So Depends who's playing your bones. See? Anybody can invent things. Yeah. No, uh, people. Tanda, just prove your point. Prove your point, Izzy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want me to prove the point that everybody's invented things at some time, at some point? No, no. <laughs> Tanda just proved your point. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was more of a fabrication than a lot than a than an invention. But uh, we're moving it's, on. It's, we'll it's true. There. It's true. We'll I'm a, yeah. I'm a fabricator. <laughs> I'm a fabricator. Yeah. I do that, and I do Fusion 360. So. I can, I can tell people that I fabricate, and uh, and I've also done some modeling. Was that our best guess? I don't know, but it was a guest. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Uh, Izzy, do you have anything to wrap up the show before we go into the secret segment? Uh, yes. Words of encouragement. <laughs> uh. Nice. Find out what you're good at, what you love to do, and then do it. And I don't necessarily mean do it for a living because there's some, I'm sure there's some hobbies out there that are not great. But um, if you want to be happy, do the things that make you happy. Oh, well, Tom's going to become a professional Gundam builder. He makes this uh, this model that he was super <laughs> good at. It snaps together. He wanted to make more, so I'm, I'm assuming that that's the direction he's headed now. That's the direction I'm headed. You go, Tom. You go, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Live your best life. What about you, Tom? Uh, Well, thank you, Izzy. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tolerating this uh, episode. Um, Also, also, I think it was posted today, but Amanda Gasai, that's what I'm going with. That's how I'm saying it. Um, She created an, I'm going to pick another word I don't know how to say, Or. Nope. O-R-R-E-R-Y. It's like um, it's like a model of the solar system. Mm-hmm. Tanda, do you know that word? Or-er. I'm with that word. Ori? I can't even say it. That's that's not a word. It's, it's basically it just or-er-y. a sound. But it's it's a it's a beautiful think of like a clock mechanism of the sun with the earth and the moon mm-hmm. going around it with appropriate ratios, but it's made out of brass and I think the earth is glass. I didn't, I haven't read the details, but, um, she even put, I think it's a, I think it's Amanda and I think it's, I think she's a she, so forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, but, uh, you can find it on inventables and you can make your own potentially, but probably not. It's super complicated, (laughs) 
But it is it is beautiful. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for like months now for her to finish this. It's something she's been working on for years, apparently. Um, and it's just gorgeous. So go check it out. I'm just thinking about all those male Amandas you just defended. I don't know any. That's why I went with. I don't know. I'd like I thought to, I'd like I to give a shout out to because the uh, name on Instagram is all matched together. And I, I thought the guy's name was Amand for a little while, and <laughs> it's not Amand. I, okay. I, okay. For my short and sweet, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, to Izzy. Of course, go check out everything that Izzy's doing. It's amazing. Yes. Um, but also a shout out to Ver Tom, uh, you know, for giving giving our listeners puzzles. Like just figuring out how to go follow or even find what what he has just recommended. I mean, he's he's thrown you. All right, here we go. Here we he's go. Giving you two or three different names, a couple different genders. He doesn't know what the thing is called. He's pretty sure it's on Inventables uh, or Instructables or something. But uh, I think that's good. It gives our guests what something did I say? to Inventables? go. Inventables, Instructables. It gives our guests uh, something to go Close enough. go search. You know for. what, people. Send me a message, and I'll talk to you for an hour, and then I'll tell you. Oh no! Don't let them off. Don't let them off the hook. They have to figure this out themselves. We're going to start calling these Tom's short and sweet puzzles. (laughs) So, so the real the real (laughs) twist here is that it's not on Inventables; it's on the internet. It starts with an I. Tom gets confused. It's Instructables. Same same. Tanda, was that all your short and sweet? Yeah, if you're out there looking for Tom's stuff on Inflatables, careful. So, PJ, what have you got? Uh, well, not Short much. Speech, not much. I've got a knob. I've got a knob. That's all I've got. I just, um, I, I showed you guys in the pre-show. I, I've been prototyping a knob as part of uh, something that I've been working on, which I kind of let slip a little bit in the uh, secret segment last week. I'm building something that is going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a hot item. And uh, part of that requires a uh, custom knob. And so I just did that today. And that's all I got, really. Of course, I'm happy that Izzy was uh, able to make time out of his busy schedule to, to come on here and just uh, just hang out with us, talk about stuff. Thank you, thank you. Um, probably gave more useful information than the three of us combined. So In all of all the shows. All of our episodes combined. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. doubt that. <laughs> You haven't listened to enough of the episodes, Izzy. That's, yeah. a, that's a sad truth. I'm, I'm looking but, um, forward to the, to the secret segment. Thanks, guys. Oh, I, oh. Maggie I and I are sitting over here. What we, what we invent. Maggie and I are sitting over here looking at orreries now. Thank you very much for that, Tom. Yes, yes. I, I never knew. I've never heard that word. But, I, I mean, I've, I've seen them, and Neither I've seen I? some amazing ones. Um, um, or, so, orries are, yeah. are part of the reproductive system. That's where babies come from. I don't think you <laughs> have that quite right, PJ. Orries, sure. Orries. Yeah, yeah. Just a, a it's the French way of, of the pronouncing system, it. You know? <laughs> of the planets? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all the same. It's all the same, you know. Um, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll just, just because I could show you guys and no one else can see. Um, I'm going to show you something that uh, that I'm working on that's completely crazy and it's been driving me insane and definitely is not going to be a production item. But this thing right here mm-hmm. is what somebody sent me to reproduce and 3D print. So this crazy shape with all mm-hmm. of the all the angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is broken. You can see the the hole. Where my finger is. Yep. So. Um, 
I have been slowly working on that. CAD project. Yeah, but um, that is a a dust shroud, let's say, for a delta oscillating spindle sander. And uh, they don't exist. If yours broke, um, you can't buy one. So this uh, this came from um, Duran Violins, talking about musical instruments. He uses one for his work, and he said, hey, do you think you can make this for me? And I said, if you send me the broken part, I probably can. And so it's very slowly going forward, but I'm at that point where I'm about to print the first bad prototype, which means that all the holes are in the wrong places and nothing's angled right. But anyway, that's that's what I'm up to. And I would like to thank our top Patreon supporters, of course, our very own Tanda and Creator Nader. And uh, we don't have any new Patreon members. If you would like to be one of our patrons, just go to patreon.com forward slash makerskills and join up. And then you get to hear the secret segment. And since I didn't talk about this it last week, good. <clears throat> since I didn't talk about it last week, I'm going to bring it up this week. For all you that aren't listening to the podcast, okay? Everyone that's not listening. That can't hear this right now. You should be. Yes, you should be listening. And you know what? You're not hearing anything because you don't deserve to hear it. You're not taking the time probably, out of your probably day. Probably because I haven't ever heard of the podcast. or That too. Going. That too. Yeah. BJ, so I'm just saying. You can't hang out with Maggie anymore. <laughs> I kind of feel like Maggie wants to hang out with me now. That's, uh, that's all I'm saying. But, um, but, oh but anyway, if, if you're listening and you hear my words... Find someone that has not listened and bring them into the fold. Let them know that there's a group of weirdos that gets together once a week and talks about stuff because they need to hear it. And that's all I got to say. And tell them, tell them what PJ said about them. That too. You let them know. <laughs> that too. You let them know. And I'm serious. Real serious. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time.